Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I have with me Susan Thompson, who's our wonderful lay leader this morning. We welcome each and every one of you here. I especially want to welcome our visitors this morning. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you'll join us for coffee and conversation in Housen Hall right after the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our services by lighting a chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Please say with me our words for lighting the chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Good morning. Our call to worship this morning was written by Norman Naylor. Do not leave your cares at the door. Do not leave there your pain, your sorrow, or your joys. Bring them with you in this, into this place of acceptance and forgiveness. Place them on the common altar of life and offer them to the possibility of your worship. Come then and offer yourself to potential transformation by the creative process that flows through you and all life. Unitarian Universalism doesn't have a common creed. We don't have a set of beliefs that we all have to agree to. So sometimes people ask us, well, if you don't have the same beliefs, well, then what holds you together? Well, I think a lot holds us together. At this church, one of the things that holds us together and guides our decision-making is our mission statement. It's our common purpose, and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Our reading is entitled, For a New Beginning, and it's by John O'Donohue. In out-of-the-way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, this beginning has been quietly forming waiting until you were ready to emerge. For a long time it has watched your desire, feeding the emptiness, feeling the emptiness grow inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety and the gray promises that sameness whispered, heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, Wondered, would you always live like this? Then the delight, when your courage kindled, and out you stepped onto new ground. Your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plenitude opening before you. Though your destination is not clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease in risk. Soon you will be home in a new rhythm, for your soul senses the world that awaits you. I invite you now into a time of meditative breathing. 
time where we breathe together and breathing together, feeling one another's loving presence, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, greater creativity, more possibility, that spark of the divine within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that human sounds and the sounds of small children are a part of the sacred silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out, let us enter into that time of sacred silence together. Earlier, we lit the flame of our chalice, calling it into being. And yet, being is not quite an accurate description. A flame is not a stable object, but rather an ever-becoming process of fuel and oxygen being burnt. One flame dying so that the next can arise, giving the impression to our eyes of one steady flame. A worldview called process theology says that we are like that flame. We are ever-changing processes of becoming, changing into something new with each moment of our experience. For process theology, God is not omnipotent or all-powerful, but rather is a benevolent force offering to us almost limitless possibilities from which to choose in each moment, luring us towards those potentialities that are life-giving and life-fulfilling, that expand our awareness and spiritual well-being, that move our world toward greater goodness and beauty. God then holds our experiences as well as those of all else to retain what has been actualized in our world. Now, the non-theistic version of this substitutes the possibility for novelty, the creative processes inherent in our universe, for God. Love and justice become what lure us toward the creative choices that will enhance our lives and our world. 
Well, that is probably the shortest, most simplified version of process theology ever spoken. It's much more complex than what I've just outlined. I wanted to start by sharing a little bit about it with you this morning, though, because it provides a really useful way for thinking about the subject of this month's theme that our faith development classes and activities have been exploring, the soul matters theme of possibility. Unitarians and Universalists have always been a people of possibility. When other faiths have placed depravity at the core of humanity, we have seen human potential instead. A couple of Sundays ago, we talked about how what we don't know, uncertainty, mystery, can sometimes create within us experiences of awe and wonder that beckon us toward creative exploration and possibility. That's right, see? Last Sunday, we thought about how letting go of what might be holding us back can oftentimes create new, more life-fulfilling potential for us. One example would be letting go of an unhealthy relationship so we can spend more time on those relationships that are mutually enhancing one another's lives. Today, I want to explore some other ways that may offer us creative means for reaching toward our full potential. First, I'd like to talk about something closely related to sometimes needing to let go of something to make our full potential possible. Far too often, I think we tell ourselves false stories that make what is challenging or difficult seem like impossibilities to us. Stories like, I'm too old to do that, or too young. We tell ourselves, I have to be perfect. We ask ourselves, what would other people think if I did that? It's too risky. I'm not good enough, smart enough, talented enough, worthy enough, etc., etc., etc. We think to ourselves, if I do this, they won't love me anymore. And these, there are so many more false stories we tell ourselves. I think that fear of rejection, fear of losing our sense of belonging is involved in a lot of these stories. Fear of rejection is one of the big ways we stifle our own creative potential. But how do we rewrite these false narratives? Jia Yang is an entrepreneur who, in his early 30s, realized that a childhood incident had caused him to develop a really high level of anxiety around being rejected. He ran from any possible chance of rejection, which was hurting him both in his personal life and his entrepreneurship because he was afraid to take risks. So he decided that for 100 days, every day he would do something that was likely to get him rejected. He wanted to see what he could learn from that and whether it could help him work through that fear of rejection. So, for instance, one day he went up to a complete stranger and asked to borrow $100. (laughs) Another time he went to a burger joint, had his lunch, and then walked back up to the counter and asked for a burger refill. He asked a Starbucks manager to let him be greeter all day like they do at Walmart stores. On yet another day, he knocked on the door of a stranger's house holding a flower and asked if he could plant it in their backyard. Well, needless to say, he got rejected a few times, 
But he also began to notice that if he stayed engaged, if he didn't immediately flee when someone told him no, that creative possibilities began to open up for him. So, for instance, he readily admitted to that Starbucks manager that his request to be a greeter was a little weird. And the manager replied with, well, okay, just don't do anything too weird and let him do it. The person at the first house he asked about planting a flower in their backyard told him no, but he was more confident by then, so he asked the guy why. And the guy said, well, I have this dog that would just dig it right back up. But that lady across the street, she loves flowers. So across the street he went, knocked on the door, and the flower is now growing in her backyard. So in a way, what he did was to desensitize himself to rejection and even learn to embrace it as a gift. I want to let you hear his own conclusions from this experiment. And in that picture, which you can see, um, I I quoted uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Why? Because in my research, I found the people who really changed the world, who changed the way we live and the way we think, are the people who were met with initial and often violent rejections. People like Martin Luther King Jr., like Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, or even Jesus Christ. These people did not let rejection define them. They let their own reaction after rejection define themselves. And they embrace rejection. And we don't have to be those people to learn about rejection. And in my case, rejection was my curse, was my boogeyman. It has bothered me my whole life because I was running away from it. Then I started embracing it. I turned that into the biggest gift in my life. I started I started teaching people how to turn rejections into opportunities. I used my blog. I used my talk. I used the book I just published. And I, I was even, I'm even building technology to help people overcome their fear of rejection. When you get rejected in life, when you are ma- make, facing the next obstacle or next um, failure, consider the possibilities. Don't run. If you just embrace them, they might become your gifts as well. Thank you. I think his story also reveals a couple of other ways that we are called to creative possibilities. First, we have greater possibilities when we educate ourselves, when we open ourselves to having our consciousness raised. And second, we reach our greatest potential, I believe, only in relationship with other people. Now, we can educate ourselves by formal means, but also by putting ourselves in situations from which we can learn, like he did. One of the ways in which we are learning together here at the church is how we can better recognize and dismantle a culture of white supremacy and other systems of oppression within ourselves, within our church community, and beyond our walls, as one of our new end statements or goals related to our mission puts it. To that end, a subset of our change team, this is a group that's working on anti-racism and multiculturalism here at the church, has put together an exercise for us this morning. I'm putting a question up on the screen, and you have this on a handout that you were given on your way in, and it's related to the language of anti-oppression, diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
What I'd like you to do is take just a moment to decide how you would answer that question, and then I'm going to invite you to pair up with someone nearby you. One person will talk for about a minute on why you chose the answer that you chose, and then I'll let you know when to switch, and the other person will talk for just about a minute about why you chose what you chose. Now, we know people have different learning styles and different levels of comfort with public conversation, so if you would prefer to journal about or just contemplate your answer on your own, that's fine, too. Just let people know that. Okay, you may begin now. Come back together, and as you're doing that, I know you're Unitarian, so I know you're wanting to know if you got the right answer, but... To find out, you'll have to go to the workshop today at 1230, mentioned in your handout and in the announcements, where you can learn more about the vocabulary of beloved community. So that was an example of how we can learn from each other. And even further, as I mentioned, each one of us can only realize our own greatest potential, I believe, in relationship with others, especially those who have much different life experiences than our own. We grow the most when we learn to not only encounter, but value difference and alternative perspectives. This is just one of the many ways that our silos rooted in racism, bigotry, and ideology harm all of us. And especially, especially when it comes to movement building, we absolutely must have relationships and community. We must have solidarity to maximize the social possibilities for which we yearn. I love the way poet Marge Percy expresses the possibility to be found in building movements in her poem, The Low Road. She writes... What can they do to you? Whatever they want. They can set you up. They can bust you. They can break your fingers. They can burn your brain with electricity. They can take your child, wall up your lover. They can do anything you can't stop them from doing. How can you stop them? Alone, you can fight. You can refuse. You can take what revenge you can but they roll over you. But two people fighting back to back can cut through a mob. Two people can keep each other sane, can give support, conviction, love, massage, hope. Three people are a delegation, a committee, a wedge. With four, you can play bridge and start an organization. With six, you can rent a whole house and hold a fundraising party. A dozen make a demonstration. A hundred fill a hall. A thousand have solidarity and your own newsletter. Ten thousand power and your own paper. A hundred thousand your own media. Ten million your own country. It goes on one at a time. It starts when you care to act. It starts when you do it again after they said no. It starts when you say we and know who you mean. And each day, you mean at least one more. Here's another take on how movements start. Ladies and gentlemen, at TED, we talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement. So let's watch a movement happen, start to finish, in under three minutes, and dissect some lessons from it. 
First, of course, you know, a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed. <laughs> but what he's doing is so easy to follow. So here's his first follower with a crucial role. He's going to show everyone else how to follow. Now notice that the leader embraces him as an equal. So now it's not about the leader anymore. It's about them, plural. Now there he is calling to his friends. Now if you notice that the first follower is actually an underestimated form of leadership in itself. It takes guts to stand out like that. The first follower is what transforms a lone nut into a leader. <laughs> and here comes a second follower. Now it's not a lone nut, it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. So a movement must be public. It's important to show not just the leader, but the followers. Because you find that new followers emulate the followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people and immediately after... Three more people. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. <laughs> so, notice that as more people join in, it's less risky. So those that were sitting on the fence before now have no reason not to. They won't stand out. They won't be ridiculed. But they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. So... <laughs> Over the next minute, you'll see all of the, uh, those that prefer to stick with the crowd because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But let's recap some lessons from this. So first, if you are the type, like the shirtless dancing guy, that is standing alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals. So it's clearly about the movement, not you. <laughs> okay, but... We might have missed the real lesson here. The biggest lesson, if you noticed, did you catch it? Is that leadership is over-glorified. That yes, it was the shirtless guy was first, and he'll get all the credit. But it was really the first follower that transformed the lone nut into a leader. So as we're told that we should all be leaders, that would be really ineffective. If you really care about starting a movement, have the courage to follow and show others how to follow. And when you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first one to stand up and join in. And what a perfect place to do that. I think that advice about learning to follow might be a great source of possibility, especially for those of us who are managerial class, white, and used to having authority. I want to wrap up by returning to the process theology with which I began. What if God is calling you toward those potentialities that are life-giving and life-fulfilling? What if God is answering your desire to reach for your full potential with a resounding yes? Or if you prefer... What if the possibility for novelty, the creative processes inherent in our universe, what if love and justice are luring you toward possibilities that expand your awareness and spiritual well-being and move our world toward greater goodness and beauty? What if the universe is saying yes to the world about which we dream? How will we answer? Please say with me our words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. 
For benediction, I want to share with you a poem that I found to be a blessing. It's called God Says Yes to Me by Kaylin Hott. I asked God if it was okay to be melodramatic, and she said yes. I asked her if it was okay to be short, and she said, it sure is. I asked her if I could wear nail polish or not wear nail polish, and she said, honey, she calls me that sometimes, she said, you can do exactly what you want to. Thanks, God, I said. And is it even okay if I don't paragraph my letters? Sweet cakes, God said. Who knows where she picked that up. What I'm telling you is yes. 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 Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.